This is Dave of Live Life Loud, the Decibolic Podcast, and you're listening to Pods Like Us with Marv. Welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Crabell, known to my friends as Marv, and this time I am talking with somebody who you have all heard multiple times already on the show from Live Life Loud, the Decibolic podcast, my friend Dave Belknap. How are you, Dave? Marv, I'm doing great today. Thanks for having me back on and uh, for being able to put up with me as the only interview on your podcast for once. Yes, everybody's heard you already on the show, and only now are they finding out everything that they need to know. Well, unless they're listening to your show, of course. Yeah, yeah, which they can always pop over and do on their own accord. But yeah, you know, a little different, a lot of fun. How are you doing, Marv? I'm doing um, okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for being, being here. Well, I am honored. Thank you. So how were you introduced to the world of podcasting? In the first place, uh, Dave. Uh, amazingly enough, I never really listened to lots of podcasts too much prior before I got going. And it first came about because I uh, use everybody's favorite uh, platform to hate, Spotify. And on Spotify, I would get what was called a daily mix. And the daily mix would give me news information along with songs that I might be interested in listening to. And when I was traveling a lot, I just put that on the phone and have it transferred to the car and listen. And in addition to uh, some radio news sources that would come up, I would get little tidbits about uh, financial info from another group and found that they had a podcast. So I'd listen to their little five-minute segment on my daily mix. And then once a week, I go back and listen to their entire show. So that's what kind of introduced me to podcasting. And after that, honestly, I found a guy that was very entertaining to me, very interesting, because his show uh, featured a host of different people that he would interview uh, by the name of Chris Jericho. Okay. Uh, the painmaker, you know, uh, popular professional wrestler around the world. He's been in New Japan, WWE, AEW, all the big ones. Yeah. yeah. So uh, listening to him. And for the past three years, I was traveling on the road full time. And I was a presenter for a company that produced audio gear for doing recording, live sound, mixing, et cetera. And 
about once a month, I'd get somebody who would come up to me after the end of me doing a presentation. Uh, and besides them congratulating me and saying, wow, you know, you really have it together. They would come up and tell me, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? Okay. And I'm like, I really haven't. And finally, my, my lightning fast brain after about the fifth time said, you know, I could probably, I should probably look into actually doing a podcast. And that's how I got started in the wide world of podcasting during the uh, pandemic when everything closed down. And I really wasn't sure what the next steps were I was going to take professionally. Wow. So you've led into the next bit then, which is the history to the show and uh, how you would describe the show. Uh, for Live Life Loud, I am a segment or a variety show. My goal is to have a decent sized episode every time, probably around the length of a typical sitcom show like The Office. So not taking up usually more than 30 minutes of anyone's time, but I do about half of it is typically an interview. And I sprinkle in other things like uh, deep shower thoughts. Uh, I'm getting ready to do old English insults. And I also do things called like the gear in here, where I talk about the actual gear that I use in my studio area for recording, for playing guitar. And I also married that with the three years I spent on the road traveling. Uh, I used to do a little thing on Facebook called the five foot four report because that's my height. And, you know, uh, my perspective from the road, okay. Mike, well, I've got a great amount of material and rather than just putting it into words on a blog that only some, some people can get access to, why don't I make that into a section of my podcast and, you know, go through the States, go through the areas I've been in so people can experience what I got to experience on the road and hopefully find some helpful tips and insight along the way for their own personal travels. And that morphed into what is now known as travel time. Right. Yep. Because I've heard all that. I love the uh, the fact that you explain, like, because you, you go through your top favorite hotels in different uh, states that you've been in. And, and I find that fascinating how you'll explain what these hotels provide and uh, what the actual hotel rooms are like and everything. I think that's, I think that's great information and helpful to anybody that's, that, you know, travels, basically. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And even if it's somebody who occasionally travels, but you know, they might find themselves like going to a state or going into Ontario, Canada, then hopefully what I provided on the site or on the, uh, on the podcast, they'll be able to find that and make that useful. So now I'm in the process of trying to kind of do an index on my own website that I have so that people can go and say, okay, well, I want to hear more about Wisconsin. I can go to this episode or I want to hear about Michigan. I can go to this episode and so on and so forth. So the overarching goal is to make it uh, both a, a database and a way to push the podcast, but a podcast that can also push people to come and enjoy the information, hopefully find useful information for themselves on the site as well. I was about to ask, actually, if, uh, you keep preempting everything that I'm asking you. <laughs> It's it's like you're a professional and you know what you're doing and you're expecting, you know what I'm going to ask. I was about to say, so the information that you give in the shows, that's on the website, then you've got a log of all this information on there as well. Yeah, that is in the works right now to have an easily usable database. And that's what I'm figuring out is to how to, yeah, at first it's just going to be right there. You know, it's going to be Wisconsin, but eventually I'd like to have it. So there's like a, like a database page. 
you know, you can type in Wisconsin and it'll bring up the episodes of Wisconsin and what's in those episodes. Yeah. Okay. And links to all those places that you mentioned in Wisconsin as well, I would have thought. Oh, absolutely. Once, once they start paying me for that, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Making money from doing what you love. Who would have thought it? (laughs) Affiliate programming. I mean, you know, I, I've always had a, a, and this might preempt another one. I've always had a penchant for being able to figure out how to use what I have to, uh, to support what I love. Uh, and that started from the early days of eBay to a brief transition with, uh, with the big bookseller, Amazon, to working with a stateside company here that's now uh, gaining momentum called Reverb, where they sell just musical equipment. So whatever I've not been using or really don't want to keep around, I've managed to offload and supplement my studio work. And that's how pretty much I've paid for what I'm doing is something I'm not using. Okay, put it up for sale. Somebody buys it. Off it goes. And that money goes back into the kitty to make the next project happen. Okay, so explain to people then uh, in more detail your background, because I think that plays into well things that you know about equipment that you uh, that you go into detail with and the people that you interview as well because you've you've made relationships with those people through the job that you uh, that you do yeah uh, my earliest meetings with some of these people was uh, as far back as 30 years ago in a little town called traverse city michigan okay at that time i got to meet some amazing studio artists who had semi-retired and moved back to their hometown area. One by the name of Roger Tarkson, uh, an amazing drummer, and his brother Phil is his equal on guitar. Just two amazing people. You may never have heard of Roger's name, but if you've listened to David Crosby, you've heard Roger play. Okay. And that's the that's going to drop there. So from them, I began learning how to network and use my experience uh, while working at music store. Fast forward a little bit, I moved uh, downstate a little bit with my family and went to work at a guitar shop. And there I started connecting with people and actually uh, met a couple of the guys that I've interviewed through there who were either working there or people that were my clients. I even had the honor to see Joe Bonamassa's 1954 Stratocaster. That's like his favorite Stratocaster in the whole world. Wow. That I came through my shop and I got to take photos of it and play it for about 20 minutes before it went on its way to him. So that was kind of fun. But anyhow, so through that job, I ended up taking another opportunity with a major audio manufacturer. And that was where I really began to be able to get out more and travel throughout the United States and throughout Canada. And we do a lot of events like the National Association of Music Merchants in Anaheim, California. There, I probably have met well over 50 artists from all around the world, Ron Wood, Michael Anthony from Van Halen, George Lynch of Dokken, Paul Reed Smith himself, and it grows exponentially. Uh, some amazing bass players that I'm totally missing the name on. One of the guys who is just awesome. I got to hang out with him for a little bit. And my good friend Dino Monoxilis, who is known as the Ampeg guy. So through all this travel, I got to meet a lot of people and use my skills uh, of knowledge in musical equipment. So again... Backing up a little bit to 30 years, I would run across the road from a warehouse I was working at and bug the owner of the store to death about different pieces of equipment or different parts that I needed for a guitar that I was building. And one day after me doing this for about three weeks, he looks at me and says, you seem to know a lot about this stuff. How would you like a job 
and I'll pay you 25 cents more an hour than what they're paying you to get started. So I did that. And by the age of 19, I became the assistant manager of the store, ran it for three years. And that's what spiraled into the collection of my ever deepening knowledge that I had of music gear, professional equipment. And that allowed me to springboard into a lot of those relationships with various artists over the next 20 years. Okay, so basically the guests are people that you've you've met in your life doing that work, such as uh, Dino and uh, the previous guest, Dylan Bowman? Dylan Bowman of I Prevail. He actually worked with me for a, for a short time at the guitar shop in Grand Rapids that we were together at. So yeah, uh, a lot of it is through those kind of relationships. And some of the other guests that will be coming up are relationships from those relationships where they've already... Uh, allowed me to use into feedback or to actually talk on my behalf and say, Hey, this was one of the best interviews and podcasts I've been on. Okay. If he calls, do it. Yeah. I think what helps with that is that you have that knowledge that you can fall back on. So you know what sort of questions or how to guide the conversations that you have with them. So it makes it easier that way. And because you're coming at it from that angle, you will have that level of respect from the people because they'll think this guy knows what he's uh, what he's talking about. Yes, thank you. That is so true with that. And you know, I, I spent as much time developing over the last six months a lot of those skills. I'm very good, as you can tell already by this podcast episode. I'm very good at monologuing. That's what yeah. I was monologue. But I learned somewhere in between there how to monologue. And then how to spin part of what I just said into a question. So now when I do uh, interviews, it's a little bit the opposite. I might ask a question, they get started, but rather than me having to ask a question based off of what I just said or you know what I might have scripted on the next role, I'll pick something and find something that really seems to be important in the last couple of sentences or in what they've just told me. And figure, okay, this part is a vital piece. Let's pull that out and expound on it. And that's really helped me out with getting what I have out of my guests. And I enjoy the dynamic of the interview because when I'm on my own, I'm really critical of what I'm doing because I have more control over it. And in a case like this, I have less control over everything. So I seem to be a little more at ease. Also, I found it helps. If anyone has ever seen one of these digital programs that we use for recording, you'll see this consistent waveforms trickling across your screen. And at times that can be like watching a golden retriever chase its own tail. Before long, you realize that that has derailed you from whatever you're doing or how you were thinking. And instead, you're trying to keep time with this ever-growing little blip of graphic on your screen rather than actually concentrating on what you're wanting to say. So that helps me out a lot, too. Okay, so as a musician in bands, have you had to travel as well or not so much? Uh, with the bands, I've always had that fleeting wink with fame or with larger groups. Early 90s, I worked with an amazing gentleman by the name of Kenny Olson. Oh, right. Yeah. Some people know him better as the guitar player in the Twisted Brown Trucker Band of Kid Rock. Yeah. So Kenny was working with me when he got the call to go to Detroit and start working with Kid to make that happen. Uh, one of my other good friends, Brian Schramm, ended up meeting Kenny and Kid at Kenny's wedding, and he became the guitar player for Uncle Cracker. Yep. Dylan Bowman was in the midst of deciding what he wanted to do when he got the call to join I Prevail. And at the time, it was almost a hired gun situation. 
But the more that they got to know Dylan, the more he became a very vital and important part of that team. So I've always had that where I've pushed somebody, uh, a good friend who I am hoping to interview soon is a guitar player for Leon Hendricks, uh, Jimmy Hendricks's brother, who is the rightful heir to the name. Yep. Not his awkward cousin who has stolen the family business. And he credited part of him ever getting into guitar was me making him a mixtape with some really cool guitar stuff on it before he left the school that we were in. And he moved with one of his parents to, I believe it was to Florida at that time. So I've kind of always been that, uh, that strike that the match hit before the flame started. Myself personally, I've, I've enjoyed sometimes with bands. I've worked a lot with younger people, uh, talents that were just getting formed. So for me, it was being able to work with them in a musician's setting and getting them excited and continuing on their own path. But I really didn't tour a lot outside of just my local area as a young musician. It did just help me, though, to, I guess, expand and enjoy and have a, a camaraderie with people uh, when it came time over the previous opportunity that I had for the last three, three and a half years. Okay, so with these friendships that you've got, do these people already know what sort of, not, not necessarily the questions themselves, but do they already have a guide that you've given them that shows how the conversation or the points that you're going to hit for sure in the conversation that you're going to have with them? I do. I'm OCD about that. I don't want anything to really be a surprise to the guests that I have on uh, the majority of the time. You know, uh, my good friend, Justin, who will be coming in uh, forthcoming episodes, was the first vocalist in a band I was in. So it was really easy to roll with him. And he had an idea of what was going on. But with Dino and with Dylan, I sent them literally about two pages of questions that, OK, these are sections that I want to talk about. Here's some questions in those sections. Let me know if something is off topic or something that we cannot discuss. You know, because like with Dylan, they're working on some new stuff. That's as much as he told me. With Dino working at Ampeg, they're always working on a product line three to five years in the future. So there's things that he can't tell me about that. But there'd be other personal questions. I'm like, is this a road that's okay to go down? Or is this something you would rather not discuss on our podcast? Just thinking from the aspect of this is not only my friend, this is my guest. And to follow that up is that uh, if if they don't enjoy their time and they feel blindsided, that's not going to look good for me when I go down the road for future interviews. No, absolutely. So when you do those interviews, then I'm guessing that they are structured in a specific way so that you go from one to another, allowing for the occasional tangent that they might go off. So how do you structure it so that you can then separate it in a neat way? to have those interviews over multiple episodes because an interesting thing about your show because you said that it's it's almost like a i think we call them in this country a magazine show or something where you have different segments so do you actually structure it so that you know where the points are to break for the next episode or do you just let the conversation flow and then afterwards do that in post yes <laughs> eventually i got there <laughs> No, truthfully, I, I do have an idea, yep. but I do skip around that idea from part to part. Just I have it out there, and that's one of the beauties about giving it to them in advance. They know where I want to go. Yep. But if they really seem to be veering towards from, let's say we started at one, 
and they decided to veer down and three is where they're going instead of two, then we'll go to three yep. and we'll come back to two later, or we might never get to two. Sometimes if I give them five points of topics I want to talk about, we'll start at five. It just depends on the person. And honestly, I don't always know what segment is going to be first, second, or third until after I've finished the conversation. Right. And sometimes they'll be talking about topic one. We'll skip to topic three, then we'll go back to topic one. So if the flow works well enough, I'll take the topic ones and push them together. If it just seems that one to three is a natural progression, we'll just go from one to three and then maybe start with number one again in the next episode. It just really depends a lot on how it flows and how it's feeling once I get the final interview recording finished from them. Uh, and to maybe add to the next part of that, there is typically about a three to four week time between when I do the interview and when I do the editing. And that's purposeful on my part, just so that way I've stepped away from it long enough that when I come back to it, it's fresh. Yep. And it allows me to see things from a whole perspective rather than just going right in that moment. And now you've got something that might be a little, a little choppy or dissonant. Instead, it allows me to, I guess you could say, better orchestrate the, the part of the episode, that portion that I'm bringing forward for my listeners to enjoy. Right. So anyway, that leads then nicely into how do you actually pick the structure for your show then? How is it set out? Has it got a pattern that you have for every episode? I do have a typical pattern that I use. Uh, I always do a little introduction. Mainly that introduction is going to focus around the upcoming interview at the end of the show. So I like to tell people what's going to happen with that. Part of that I really picked up from listening to Chris Jericho again. Yeah. A great job of doing a little preface after he had recorded the entire interview. So he kind of tells you, okay, this is what's coming. And that's something I also learned at the same time in a lot of the speech classes and a lot of the uh, English classes I took early on in life. School actually worked for me. And that is you, you tell people what you're going to tell them, you tell them what you are telling them, and then you tell them what you just told them. The only part I leave off for the interviews is the last telling them what I just told them because they've heard it and I want to leave it in a more natural setting for the next part of the episode to come on. But with that, being a little less political and getting to the actual question you asked me, yeah, I start off with that. Then I go into the deep shower thought. The deep shower thought will always happen until I run out of all 125 that I have. Uh, yes, these are ones I actually wrote down on my notepad in my phone and I've kept track of for over five years. Okay. Go from there. And depending on time, I'll either do a travel time segment or I'll do the gear in here, which is the review part segment, or I'll do something a little different. Like in an episode that just released, I did a memorial for a couple of friends that have passed on during the time production with Dino people that Dino knew or people that I knew together with him. Okay. I did a special memorial segment and then we moved on. So that'll happen. And then the interview happens at the end. And if I don't have an interview, I might do, or don't want to do an interview, just want to give some space between all the interviews. I might do a couple of the segments back to back and then end the show. Or if the segment of the interview is just solid the way it is, and I don't want to clip it, and it just doesn't seem to be a natural break for it, I'll go from the introduction and go right into that interview. Because again, my guiding principle for the podcast is to make sure I stay around or under half an hour every time. So you record the interviews separately, and then the other bits, 
you do those as separate things as well and because you've got all these different voices that you use and how how do you do all this so part of it comes from again just from me getting bored sometimes part of the the multi voices uh come from me watching skit shows uh like saturday night live or uh, rowan and martin's laughing so different things like that where people were doing different characters uh rich little huge inspiration for me as a kid because he could do those mimic those voices and so for me it was kind of fun to have uh in the example of my pilot episode and try to emulate the sounds of being two or three different people in the episode. So it sounded like two ring announcers talking back and forth. And that would come from anything from lowering the register of my voice to picture my nose and try to talk a little bit higher. Mm. You know, just simple things to change it up. And of course, I'd change the EQ on the mic. Uh, the amazing thing about digital audio is being able to ever so slightly and gently change what the sound is people are hearing. And it gives it just enough separation to make it different enough to really draw somebody into it being a conversation between two rather than it just being one person monologuing the entire time. So that's how that comes up is just from my inspiration from watching variety shows like Saturday Night Live or watching The Tonight Show or whichever, you know, whichever version you saw. So part of it comes from that. And I've always been, well, I went through drama in high school. Again, drawing from high school, who would have thunk? So I use that, uh, that ability to draw in and to play it into things. And sometimes an idea just comes together and I have to do it. So those different sounds and ideas will come into play. And I really have found that it's quite easy for me to bring those into a podcast setting. So do, do you record those separately or do you record them all as one and then do the effects on the voices at another time? Oh, yeah. I, the voices I do record, well, actually, uh, it depends on what it is, but normally I'll record the voices one right after another. They'll be short takes. So I'll do a short take with voice A, and then I'll do a short take with voice B, and then I edit them together. So for me, it just kind of keeps the monologue flowing a little bit easier that way. Uh, also, I found that if I try to do it where I've recorded them separately, uh, and then try to splice them together. I'm not really a fan of, of it doesn't sound organic. Yep. So being able to portray those two or three people all in a row just helps it to keep, to keep that fluid structure that I personally want to hear. And for that, I am my own biggest critic. There have been times when I've probably done one deep shower thought, maybe seven or eight takes uh, just so I could get it to be the way that I wanted the voice to be for that part. Yes, I've had to do that before with the intro to this show where I've messed up the intro numerous times and just had to keep going for it. And then and then sometimes if you, if you do it two or three times, then you get a problem that the, uh, that the guest starts, laugh, starts laughing, then you mess it up as well. And yes, yeah, yeah. So the, the amount of times that we all do these things and then we have to, I'm sort of envious of people who can do a live stream and just go for it without any problems at all. Right. Oh, that's one of the reasons why, you know, for me starting off, I've got a plan for how I'm slowly rolling out the podcast. And that is my first year is all audio, just, you know, pre-recorded audio, pre-done audio. 
Uh, two, that also helps out because in this day and age, things can happen. You might not be able to get started right on time. The guest might have an issue that comes up at the last minute and now you want to run and it leaves you hanging. So just because of that kind of thing. I mean, even what's the one that I really enjoyed watching recently? Uh, Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Yeah. Even his interviews are pre-recorded uh, before before everything's published. And it's it's insane what these guys have in the back working for them. But anyhow, moving off of that rabbit trail. Yeah, um, it's just a lot better for me to be able to do it that way. And so I do this. I do the recordings. My eventual goal is to start in the coming year is to do uh, 2022 is to start doing some occasional live streams when I know it just is infallible to do. Meaning I'll be able to have people actually here in the studio with me. Uh, and also somewhere around the end of that year, I'm hoping to begin, if everything keeps going in the direction it needs to, to be able to get into uh, video streaming as well as live audio. So being able to have it on a YouTube or whatever platform while I have the guest on. Yep. Okay. So you've led into the editing then, which I'm guessing is one of your favorite parts. Uh, so how do you go about doing that? I am fortunate that by virtue of the uh, piece of equipment that I have to have run across a very nice little program. Uh, and the program that came with really makes it easy for me to do the kind of audio editing that I need to. Unfortunately, I, I can't figure out a way to slow down time without it bugging me. So when I'm editing, I'm editing everything in real time, just like it sounds right now in this podcast. Yeah. But uh, what I figured out how to do with it is be able to stretch out the form just enough so that I can get rid of the occasional um or the gulp or the weird noise that might otherwise detract from what's going on in the podcast. So I get, I get a little nitpicky with my edits. For example, I recently edited a piece with Dino, and that piece started off at about 23 minutes. And by the time I was done getting the redundant phrases out of both of our speeches and getting it cobbled together where I wanted it, it ended up being roughly 14 minutes. Yep. And that's just a process of time of just identifying the pieces that need to be cut, cutting them, and then bringing the audio files closer together and matching them so that they are coherent and not choppy. Yep. And cutting down where you've got occasional bits where there'll be dead air. Oh, Yeah. It's natural that there will be pauses occasionally, so you, you might allow for a certain amount, but then once it goes over a certain length, it feels difficult, so you lose that, what I call the difficulty factor. Yes, yep. and want, uh, right now, uh, probably episode two is my worst episode for not leaving timing. Uh, you know, it's the great thing about podcasting is you just have to grow and go with it, yep. and yeah, the fun is, you know, at the same time, I am, I can get OCD about things. I can get so OCD that they line up in the correct alphabetical order and become CDO. <laughs> I, I do my best to leave things alone. Uh, I had one, one episode where I did a, a bit for it. I think it was for a travel time. And I ended up going back and re-recording the entire thing only because I had time to only because I wasn't under pressure to finally get it released. I didn't need to. I just did. Yep. The, the thing is, as they tell you, you know, the first step in doing anything is doing it. So when it comes to getting this podcast rolling, uh, episode, I just released episode seven by the time of this uh, recording here, by the time of our conversation. Yep. And 
everyone has gotten easier to edit. Every episode has become easier to do. But it would never have gotten to this point if I hadn't just finally let something alone and moved on. For me, one of the biggest helps with that process has been putting myself on a must-have weekly episode release basis. So I have every Tuesday, a new episode has to be out. That's the end of the story. So I have to make sure that I am being efficient with my time and not taking two hours just to see, well, that space is just a little too long. That space is a little too short. That needs to be level matched a little bit better. You know, and trying to not get into the minutia of that and actually just finally release it for people to enjoy. And so far, the reactions have been positive. Like you said, it's a, th- a thing that comes with time because I know with my own show that when that started, that looking back, I think there's bits where I could have been a bit more loose with the with the edits. And it, but it's something that comes with time where, you know, you'll listen back to your shows if you do. And you'll listen and think, yeah, I think I might have gone a bit over the top with that one. And it's a learning experience. You're constantly learning with this, with, with doing it. Yeah, like for me, is actually reading the chat messages that you sent me and going, okay, you have something here for me to read. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I literally just, just looked back at the chat window and, and saw and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. That works well. So go ahead. Sorry. Total rabbit trail there. Maybe that's okay. okay. (laughs) I I might leave that in because people (laughs) I've already mentioned that we're friends outside of uh, outside of this uh, episode anyway. And now for those who don't know, Marv found me and I uh, was just kind of grateful that that you Marv took time to say, Hey, you want to come do this? You want to do that? What do you think? Yeah, And for me, I'm like, seriously, I'm just getting started. So being able to have met someone like you, let alone be able to be a part of this, has been a huge confidence booster for me. So I I have to say thank you right here. And that has to definitely stand because I I am honestly, I am grateful for the fact that you have taken the time to invest and to build a good friendship with me Marv and I have seen each other once on Zoom, and that was when the bandwidth allowed. Uh, but outside of that, you know, this is, we talk on Instagram a lot and Facebook, and I've been very fortunate for this relationship to come together. So thank you, Marv. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I think, uh, did I mention it in our chat with Gil that we had last week with Gil from the Mind Buzz? Um, and I've said to other people that it's one of those relationships with yourself and with Gil, the relationships that, that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't have just pushed myself to, to start doing a podcast myself. And then these relationships have built that, that wouldn't have been there before. And I think the really good, strong relationships, because I'm, I'm just shouting out Gil as well, because he seems to be someone who, who is also staying in touch with both of us. And in, in a way, it's three people that are always that we're sort of like egging each other on and we've got each other's back, so to speak. Exactly. And yeah, we do, we do similar, but different enough uh, podcast genres that it just kind of makes a, a really cool strengthening, a real cool connection. I mean, I wouldn't even mind if we were all doing the exact same format for crying out loud, but no. it's, it's been really cool that here we are three different people, three different ways of looking at a podcast. And that's what's going to really excite me when we all get to release our own individual episodes of our three-way conversations. 
uh, just oh, to yes. see yep. how our different take on them. It's kind of like uh, three different people drawing the same superhero. So mm-hmm. it's that kind of that kind of a fun fun adventure that I'm looking for. But yeah, seriously, you know, uh, podcasting has has allowed me to branch out and actually is uh, going back to the guest uh, factor. It allowed me to reach out to some friends like Dino, Dylan, Justin, Stephen, and just say, "Hey, I'm doing this. Any thoughts? Would you would you like to join?" And they're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Cool, do it." So it gave me a chance to reconnect with some people that I hadn't talked with, you know, in about anywhere from six months to two years. And, you know, for me, it was great because I can be introverted. No doubt about that. That's probably why it makes podcasting easy for me to sit down and work here in my studio that I call the Guitar Grotto, which is a rebuilt area of my basement. And just allowing me to get down here, you know, I can work on that and not miss, you know, having a, a conversation with somebody for a little bit. But, you know, I also keep a time point to that when my wife is home and when my youngest daughter gets home from school, I'm there. When my son gets home from school, I'm there with him. Yep. And everything's good to go. And, you know, if I come back downstairs, it's for maybe another half hour tops. So, yeah. That's great. So, so when you um, do your show, what sort of research do you do about the guest, and then about when you dive deep into the uh, into the microphone uh, situation in the first episode? What research do you do, and also how did you get that equipment? Did you have to buy it, or did you have that equipment given to you? So, at this point in time, I am a completely self-funded podcast. I am hoping to eventually gain supporters and to gain sponsorships, which I have absolutely zero of uh, this early on in the game. So with that being said, yeah, I I bought it all. When it came to the microphones, uh, it actually was based on research that I did. And the first microphone that I bought that's featured in there was one of the first uh, dynamic podcast microphones that was going to be available again for purchase that I could afford. So I bought it. I needed something to get started with. The other equipment I had, I just wasn't happy with it. Now, you don't have to start with a dynamic podcast microphone or whatever. It's always been embedded in me, and it's probably thanks to my dad, that if you do something, do it to the best ability you can. And I always saw that in our hi-fi stereo at home. I always saw that in the video equipment, VCR, television equipment, computer equipment that he's bought throughout the years, his cameras. And that kind of trickled into my, into the way that I think uh, even today. So it's always been, you know, get, do the best you can with what you have. And I was fortunate enough after buying that first microphone that my, my sales rep from that company got a hold of me and said, Hey, you know, sure. It's coming out with a brand new mic and we got it. Would you, are you interested? And I'm like, yeah, but I just bought this one. Well, fortunately for me, he's like, you know, I'd really because of the relationship I had with him and I, again, working for that previous audio company, I had a relationship with this person who was selling me gear. Yep. So he's like, Hey, I know that you will actually go through and review stuff and I will get your honest take. So why don't I ship you the new microphone from sure you check it out against the microphone you have. And then you let me know your complete thoughts on it. And so I was able to return the other microphone, something you normally can't do. I was able to return the other microphone to him 
and it didn't no restocking, no no charges, just so that he could get a firsthand account from me on what the differences were between the two and which one I ended up preferring at the end of the day. So I was fortunate in that, but everything else from my now 10-year-old laptop that we're using today to my uh, MIDI keyboard and my studio speakers, all of that, my interface was all uh, purchased by myself. So when you interview people or talk with them, how do you talk with them? How is that done? Is that done over a Zoom meeting? Uh, how do you actually record those, those conversations? The conversations that I have with the people on my podcast, I use Zoom as the initial meeting place. And really, if, if you both have Zoom or if you have Messenger and you're comfortable with using that, or if you both have an Apple product and you want to use FaceTime, that would work too for what I do. I use Zoom 90% of the time because everybody who has been in lockdown for the past half year going on year has had a has had a touch with Zoom at some point. So it's very easy for people to understand. Now, the beauty that I have of it is by courtesy of the software I use, I'm able to split my own voice from that of the person who's being recorded. Now, you don't have to do it the way I do. Mine's all records in my hardware into my digital audio workstation. Zoom has a really cool feature that I learned about where it allows you to record everybody on a separate audio track. So that way you can have a little more separation and it allows you to have more flexibility when it comes time to do the editing if you even choose to edit your podcast. Yep. For those people that want to know how you would do that, that that Dave just mentioned is that you would go into your settings, not on the website browser version of um, Zoom, but on the downloaded software version of Zoom, you'll go into settings into where it says recording. And then you've got your tick where it says record a separate audio file for each participant who speaks. And that will then give you all of you, will give you a track for each individual person in that Zoom call. Sorry, I thought I'd, I'd elaborate a bit more on that, David, no, explain a bit more. That's great. That's why I wanted to stay quiet at the end so that you could get that, that cut the way you wanted it. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Dave, the music for your show, how did you come about? putting that in uh, the transitions and all the background music, the, um, the beds as they call them in the professional word. So I start with a riff or a concept and then I embellish on it uh, with the introduction for my podcast. I actually started with the drums. Okay. Uh, I'm not a drummer by trade, but I am very thankful to have known an incredible drummer by the name of Roger Tarkson, who I talked about earlier. And Roger just gave me this innate sense of, of rhythmic and timing. So I would build MIDI tracks out of stuff like, I want this kind of a vibe, or I want, I want it to be like this kind of a, a group sound. And what I did was I took that, and then I like, okay, this is the kind of bass riff I want on it, and this is what I want for the guitar. And then I slowly built it upwards from that. So, you know, either I'd be thinking like, you know, I want to be kind of quirky, kind of offspring or smash mouth because it's really quirky. Or I want somebody to be kind of more like a really kind of an edgy, fun, driving rock anthem. You know, that was the, the loose idea in my head. And it doesn't always translate the way that I started thinking about it at first, which is also very fun and exciting. Like I did a piece 
that I ended up calling vying for Top Gun. And that's because if you listen to it, it so much sounds like what if Steve Vai had written an intro for a Top Gun movie? Wow. And that's on my site, Decibolic. It's right there in the audio player on the main page. You can listen to it. Little little 20 second blip. But you know, and that started off being more moody and dark. And all of a sudden it became this very anthematic buildup over 30 seconds. Uh, other times, I'll know like, you know, I want to be like grungy. So I did gear in here and I've got this just little grungy thing that I did. And part of what helps me with that, uh, besides being a guitar player, is I bought this little looper pedal so I can write something down and I can kind of play over the top of it, noodle around and fuss with it before I commit it. And I just found having that little piece of hardware that's dedicated for a purpose is a lot easier sometimes than sitting down with a DAW in your face. Because I always feel that pressure when I see those little uh, waves forming from the audio when I'm doing a clip. So I try not to look at that kind of stuff. But that's what I did. And some of the bed music that I've done uh, in podcasts actually started off as a drum track. And because it was MIDI, I would change it to, okay, what would this sound like instead of drums if this was being played on a B3 organ? Yep. And we just muddle around with that just to see, okay, so now I've got this drum track, but now it's actually being played by a keyboard. So it gives it a, a little more fun, a little bit lighter tone a little less dynamic, so hopefully it doesn't detract as much from what I'm saying over the top of it. Okay. So I'm now thinking of Steve Vai doing a Top Gun theme. It's been in my head ever since you said that. If the new Top Gun film, Maverick, doesn't have Steve Vai doing the music, I'm going to be very disappointed now. All right. Hashtag Steve Vai for Top Gun. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. I know, but just kind of came for that because that was one of the first solos that I, you know, really enjoyed playing around with. I always enjoyed doing stuff with, with music thematic soundtrack and learning how to play those as a kid. So the Top Gun solo was one of the first things I learned. Wow. Okay. Oh, the, the main theme. That is a beautiful theme, actually. Yeah. Just so it's, and once you figure it out, and that was like one of the first things that I learned how to play by ear. So it was it was a crowning moment of, oh, look at what I can do. Yeah, it's weird because you've got themes like that that are memorable. But I mean, I, I love the um, as I'm sure everybody that knows me knows I love the uh, the Marvel uh, universe, but they've got really good music. But there's nothing that's really there except for the the, the Avengers theme. But it's only there for that short moment, like 30, 40 seconds, and then it's gone. There's nothing actually that memorable about that many of the Marvel films. Theme-wise, there's no... Do, do you know what I mean? I sure do. And, and immediately, I thought of contra contrasting that to the Disney-made version of The Lone Ranger. Okay. With Army Hammer and Johnny Depp, where for the last... Well, for somewhere in 20 minutes of the show all you hear is the Lone Ranger theme in the background. And it's like, can you please move on? The William Tell Overture, as it's properly called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's like, oh, I don't know if I can watch this scene anymore because this song just needs to stop. So I'd actually mute it on my TV. They could have utilized it in there, but just not used it as much as they did. Yeah, or, or you know, done the emo thing and made it kind of darker and stretched out over time instead of playing it at the actual BPM that William Tell scored it at. 
there's lots of things you could do with music just to to use the same thing and stretch it and elasticize it and make it more usable in a variety of settings that's true i mean in the original um uh, mission impossible film you've got uh, yes. you've got the two people from uh, the two not so famous people from u2 adam clayton and uh, larry mullen jr they're doing the mission impossible theme but they're doing it in 4-4 as opposed to it's 5-4 and they've got a dance beat to it in the background so that's looking at it from a different angle right it's the same as um you'll find john williams does it brilliantly through a lot of his films he'll have a specific theme and as you go through the film a little bit of that theme or whatever will be dotted throughout and you've also got it on pink floyd's the wall where you'll have like little touches of the wall uh guitar you'll have it or you'll have a bit of bits from all the different film songs from the pink floyd album the wall and they'll sort of like reappear like little motifs will appear here and there dotted around other songs yes but in a different way yeah exactly and it's it's so easy to do that especially this day and age i mean hey you know you could if you score something in midi you can take it you know and this is maybe this is maybe why they don't do it because you can take it if you put it in midi and you can transpose it to a different key if you want to and you can make it a little slower and a little darker sounding a little more ominous and if you put it in a minor you know and, and it might not it might work it might not depending on on the song and the writing but there's so many different ways that you can even creatively do that without having to resort to melodines and and all the all the glitch stuff they do like the overuse of of voice tracking as done by uh, Cher in a couple of her songs in the 80s like do you believe in life after love yes yeah so there's another rabbit trail for us music yeah um so i i like to often think about uh groups people that influence me and then i try to put them out of my head so that i don't consciously rip them off that is such a big stink these days that, you know, if you play something too close or using the same chord progression, you got to watch out because, you know, if it ever hits big enough, then people come back and say, oh, yeah, by the way. Yeah. Like it totally blew my mind because of the laws in Australia that men at work got hammered for using the kookaburra song. Yes. Yep. Yep. That was horrible. I thought that as well. I thought that as well. But. That that song that you're on about, Down Under, it's one of those cases where the person that wrote the song actually doesn't like the song that much anymore, does he? I think he gets fed up of it, Colin Hay. That's understandable. I mean, uh, yeah, Funk 49 for Joe. Right. Who wrote, who wrote the song, you know, Funk 49. That is like one of his least favorite things in the world to play now. Lemmy, Lemmy while he was alive from uh, Motorhead, he hated the song um ace of spades which was their most you know best-selling song and he hated it oh yeah even though he wrote yep. it used in the western decline of civilization part two movie yeah it was all over the place yeah, absolutely and there's a interesting uh version of that actually with just that's acoustic with him doing harmonica and guitars with it acoustics which is very different in a bluesy style yeah see that's fun yeah you know, revisit some of the stuff you've done, make it make it different and make it palatable. Sidestepping slightly. Okay. What would you say are your biggest influences musically, like bands that you listen to or artists? 
Sure. Uh, the Cure. Yep. I, I have to tip my hat to Robert Smith for playing the outrageous solo called The Kiss on Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me when I finally flipped over the tape as a kid. And that day I had to go out and have a guitar. My viola went away and my guitar showed up. Uh, that's the short story. Uh, yellow, because I really enjoy experimental stuff. So having having something that's not traditional, not pop music. I love pop music, by the way. Duran Duran. So we've got Duran Duran. We've got Yellow. We've got The Cure. We've got Steve Vai slash Frank Zappa. And those are probably the biggest overall influences on my music today. I mean, others have come and gone, but those are the, the main ones. Uh, for guitar, uh, I love listening to people that I could never emulate. So there we go again, Steve Vai, because I cannot play like him, nor can I play like Reb Beach, one of the most underrated guitar players ever, who has done stuff for David Coverdale and Whitesnake and is back with Kip Winger doing the band Winger. Wow. The man that has the, uh, the bass guitar that looks like a machine gun. That's Kip Winger, is it? Am I right? Could be. I'd have to look that up. I know Kip, at first, everyone thought that he couldn't play, that he was just a really good dancer, but no one ever really dug back far enough to find out he actually used to be the bass player for Alice Cooper at one point. Yeah, it's a bit like, I think people underrate uh, Michael Anthony's bass playing as well. <sighs> you know, with Van Halen and, and Sammy Agar's bands, I think I think he's a, a great bass player that's so underrated and overlooked. Agreed. And uh, not about the instrument that he plays, but also Michael Anthony's harmonies. I think when they uh, came back with the reunion album, I think it missed Michael Anthony's harmony vocals because his harmony is absolutely gorgeous. He's got that real high vocal range. I think, I think it's missing. I, I totally agree. His, his ability, like on the song Running With The Devil, yes. that made that song. Yeah, It wouldn't have been the same without that extended. Like he could just, and his pipes, he could just hold that note for days. He still can. Yes, he can. Great guy. I, I got to meet him in 2017 for the first time. Just a humble dude. So cool. So yeah, Michael Anthony uh, right there, you know, and he did the part that they wanted which is what it was all about in Van Halen. You already had the star drummer and the star guitar player, but they needed somebody who could be the glue. And that's where Michael came yes. in. He is the glue that Van Halen was missing for all those years. But he uh, he was a vocalist before Van Halen, wasn't he, I think, from what I've heard? That very well could be. I have never really delved too much into the history of Michael. Although, you know, if should he ever want to be on my podcast, then I will most definitely look up everything I can beyond Wikipedia about him. When this episode comes out, I will tag him in it so that he hears you saying that. Awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. So his, uh, his signature picture, I got one for my son, and then I've still got my picture when I got to meet him. It was an epic moment. It was really cool. It was. That's cool. So what advice then would you give to people starting out in podcasting for the first time? Sure. For the first time, do it. Yep. Get an idea. What's your passion? What do you enjoy? What is something that you really feel you would like to share with people? Don't consider whatever you want to share as being something they would not have interest in. With how diverse podcasting is, there is going to be an audience for what you have in your mind and in your thoughts to do with it. So first off, go with that. 
Second, find a good uh, podcast platform host. Yeah, and what I mean by that is, you know, whether whichever platform you're using uh, for your base, whether it's Buzzsprout, Podbean, Anchor, Spreaker, research podcast platforms and find one that works for you getting started. Work with a free one. You know, it might be a little limited in what it allows you to do at first, but it'll allow it to grow uh, for you to do it. Uh, the next part with that is start with the gear you have. Again, I'm OCD and working around professional audio equipment since the early 90s. Uh, and with the background I aforementioned with my dad, you know, just for me, wanting to have the right equipment in place was very important. Now, to add to that, I am a musician. I play guitar. I've been playing guitar, again, since the late 80s, early 90s. So part of what I'm using actually started off as gear for just my own personal studio. So before everything else happened and I was gainfully employed by that music company, I had already started to slowly build my studio area. Uh, but a good half of it came after, uh, after a separation with them and realizing that podcasting was where the next step was I really wanted to focus on. And thankfully, with the support of my wife, it happened. So start with what you have. If it's a microphone on your laptop, use it. There's editing programs that a lot of places like Anchor or Podbean offer that are built right into their website. Uh, Audacity is an easy program to use as well. Uh, that's probably the most popular and free one. It just makes it real easy for you to get out what you want to. So find a good piece of software, use what you have, use what you know and love. Wow, that's great. Anyway, Dave, how can people find out more about you and your podcast? Well, one of the easiest ways is to go to decibolic.com, D-E-C-I. B-O-L-I-C.com. That is my own personal website. I've currently built it using Wix, which made it super easy just to land on the page since I already owned the rights to the name Decibolic. Uh, second, you can go on to Instagram and locate Live Life Loud Podcast. So that's at Live Life Loud Podcast, and I'll pop up. You can also find me on Facebook at Live Life Loud and I think my Twitter handle is at LiveLifeLoud7. So between any of those, you can find me on social media. But the easiest is to go right to Decibolic.com because that is my hosting page. And you'll find out all sorts of stuff. You can even sign up for my newsletter right there. And I'll be guaranteeing uh, early access to some bonus episodes that I'm working on. And also keep you up to date with some good inside information on what's happening here in the Guitar Grotto. That's great. Okay. Uh, well, thank you very much, Dave, for talking with me. And I look forward to chatting to you again soon. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And hope you listen again to another episode of Pods Like Us. What do you think, Dave? How did how did that go? Great, thank yep. you. Yeah, I thought the, the pickup we could do on uh, 
start the call a bit earlier and on Thursday when we've got the trio of pods and we'll just do like a quick bit of chit chat so that it makes the conversation feel a bit freer and less question answer question answer oh sure yeah absolutely I, I look for so we can, yeah we get started at like 10 instead of 10 30 if that works for you yeah that's what exactly what I was thinking yeah perfect yeah yeah it's the decibolic podcast dun 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 Hey! Hey! Oh, wait, you sound really good too. <laughs> oh, okay, that's good. Oh, lolly, lolly, sibilance. How strange! Exactly the same as I used the other day as well. Well, now you don't have any of the sixty cycle hum going on. No, I've done a mic check to lose any of that. Yeah, well, it's it is pristine, sir. <laughs> that's great. It's going to sound so different to the rest of the show. So different. Yes. All right. Now I got that out of the way. That's all right. <laughs> I'm putting that in. <laughs> yeah. I don't think too many people know where they came from. Plus it's such a small snippet. Oh, that's good. My One of my all-time favorite groups, Yellow. Oh, one of my favorites as well. I need their new album, actually. That's that's not long come out, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, they've been playing parts on, on Instagram and stuff. But yeah, I know, right? Yes. I, I, I like some of their vintage stuff. I won't lie. Uh, yes. Yep. 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 Yeah, my, my introduction to them was Let's Say Yes to Another Excess. Okay. And it was uh, not long after that that i found stella at tape world tape world wow back in the days of tape world and camelot music in the u.s yes got that and oh my gosh uh a song on there just hooked me for playing guitar and now i'm going to totally lose the name of it because i'm thinking too hard you're not thinking of that lovely riff uh on um it's simple but really effective on uh, vicious games no, not that one. Oh, that one's good too. No, I'll, let me uh, let me stroll over to my collection here. I like it so much that I'm currently on the hunt for the remastered edition. It's not easy to find here in the states. I got the remastered of one second and the remastered of let's say yes. Did I ask you about the music in your show the other day or not? I can't remember. You didn't. We were going to go there, and then you said something about possibly sending me a little pre-question thing uh, if you send it to me i missed it right yep. but the desire desire yes yeah lovely yeah, that is oh there it goes wow that was loud that was the uh that was the kicker for me just that uh, that very uh bluesy srv type riff that they do is just incredible it is it is I'll do that again for you since I was messing around with audio. Okay. So Desire, that bluesy little riff was so SRV, so just so tasty. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to make that sound. And then I ended up getting into heavy metal bands. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a bit like, I think it's so cool that uh, the David Bowie album, um, Let's Dance, you've got Stevie, <gasps> Stevie Ray Vaughan and Nile Rodgers on the same album together. Right. It's, it's crazy, but you see, you've got two worlds that you wouldn't have thought about working together mm -hmm. and they're there 
yeah, that was the hook yep. for me wanting to play guitar. My dad was into ZZ Top. That didn't hurt either, but Let's Dance was the hook. Uh, so was uh, a Tom Petty tune. Yep. Um, dun, dun, oh gosh. Hi, this is Dave, author of Blank Minds for Everybody. <laughs> I love Tom Petty. Um, I've, you uh, got lucky. I've, sometimes when I write songs, I'll think there's little bits with Tom Petty where he'll throw in like chord progressions that aren't necessary for the lyrics or the melody. It's yeah. just like a link from one bit to another, like you've got ding, ding, ding in into the great wide open and that, which hasn't got anything to do with the song, but it's a hook that's there. And I think that's really, really smart and clever. Right. It's, it's some of that writing that, that just adds a little bit of texture in life. Otherwise everything would be just people bashing three chords all the time. Guilty by the way. But yeah, um, another one, In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. Yes. Make it so dun, dun. But instead he goes, dun, dun, dun. From, um, that that uh, John, oh, he's oh, one of Louise's favorite actors. He, he plays it on the, uh, on the Ghetto Blaster, doesn't he, in Say Anything. You got me there. Um, oh. I have this great ability with movies, and yep. that is to forget them. <laughs> I've never seen it. I've just seen that scene in in uh, in one of these, you know, uh, oh, uh, 80s film classic sort of rundowns and things. We'll, yeah, we'll have I, that. I can I can watch a movie and then come back to it a year later and I'm like, I don't remember that part. And it's yeah. not because George Lucas did some savvy editing either. I just don't remember it. Yes, the king of the edit. <laughs> yes. Forever muddling the question about did Han shoot first? Yes. However, I, I, I have to be very thankful at this point uh, for John Favreau and letting the people in the creative of Mandalorian bring my favorite overhyped character back to life, and that is Boba Fett. I need to catch up with that. I'm still in the towards the beginning of season oh. one, and I'm really looking forward to the return of Luke Skywalker. Okay, so you know spoilers. Okay. Unfortunately, I listen to shows and they keep saying things. Yeah. I see. I, the minute I see something about something I haven't watched, I click it off or say not interested on YouTube. <laughs> so, just because I don't want to know yet, not until I see it. It's like it's like with WandaVision. I I have purposefully not watched anything to do with that that anybody puts out. Right. Okay. So where are you on that? Are you waiting for them to put all the episodes out and then you're going to binge them? Uh, I've been watching them one piece at a time. So I'm, I just passed episode three. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of quirky. The first episode, personally, I didn't care for at all. No, I thought the second one was much better. Yeah. Yeah. They finally start and they start digging into things finally from that point on. Yeah. But yeah, because like, uh, I don't know. It felt like, it felt like Star Trek Enterprise. There was a show that had so much fantastic opportunity yep. and all they did was stay on the ship the whole time. I'm like, where is the duality dynamic? You know, we could be seeing the, the tension between the Vulcans and the humans back on earth or in the Federation, but instead we're just getting this one-sided view. 
So, you know, they fixed everything the way that anybody who doesn't know anything about writing a script does, and that is they introduce time travel. Now, unless you're Doctor Who, yes. or the premise of the whole show was time travel to begin with, it's just kind of like, really? You had to go there? I was listening to Garrett Wang and Robbie McNeil from uh, Voyager, Star Trek Voyager. They, okay. they, actually, they actually do their own podcast called The Delta Flyers. Wow. Okay. Uh, which I started listening to. And it's clever because then they're talking about Star Trek Voyager, about the episodes. And it's fascinating because they're talking about it from the point of view of people that were there making it. So you'll get like behind the scenes tidbits and things like that. And they were saying how, um, who was it? Robbie McNeil was saying how he still to this day thinks that they made a mistake in uh, making the ex terrorist organization Maquis people and the Starfleet people friendly too soon. He thinks that they should have they should have stretched that out. He said, because obviously in the real world, it would take a long time in reality for those two people to come to a certain agreement. They'd always be niggling each other. I agree, especially there should have been a lot more attention with with uh, Chipotle. I mean, Chicote. Chicote. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I did that on purpose, by the Chipotle. way. Chipotle. Hey. Because, you know, one of these days I will write a, a mockumentary or a, a mock treatment of, of, of Star Trek or Voyager, just like I have one for a very big chain of musical companies here that I have been toying with. And if somebody takes this and runs with it, you can take it. I'll, I'll enjoy the show and laugh. But the show is going to be centering around a music store called Fiddle Middle. So you can figure it out from okay. there, Fiddle Middle. And it's right. going to be set with kind that's, of a, a, cool. a future a future retro medieval type setting. That was the whole concept behind it, just to make it so bizarre and dorky. Future retro uh, medieval. So would that make it a bit um, steampunky? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it'd be somewhere in the steampunk, but be like, what if, what if, you know, we never progressed past, you know, the 1900s, you know, automobiles never really happened and combustion, combustion engines didn't come around or what happens is they start getting introduced in this time period, but you know, it's a hundred years later. Wow. So, you know, yeah, yeah, just something kind of fun. So you've got the brainy people and you've got the internet, but you don't have combustion engines. So as, as they say on one, one of the, the shows I listen to, that is a great bit to start from. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah, I've got all sorts of things like that floating around in the brain of Dave. Yeah. That's what I call my, my log. But anyhow, okay, so questions. Go for yeah, we're, we're better out because we've, really we've, got, we've got the other one with Gillian in 11 minutes. <laughs> yeah, this is Dave. I derail easily, and I already had a third cup of coffee. I need another right. cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, hello. Hello, it's been a while. Where's Gil? <laughs> right. Where's Gil? Dear me. Let's see if I can find him online somewhere. Sure. I did run us a couple minutes over on the last call, so. That's true. Don't need your hat. Where's what? Don't need your hat. Do I need my hat? What for? Oh yes, I will need that. Yeah, you're right. Good. Well done. Doing something new. Louise has reminded me. <laughs> I have an actual hat that we're going to choose something from to discuss. Nice. That's good. The 
because, you know, I was going to be all pro about this <clears throat> and listen to our previous conversation. But instead, I realized I had to put the third leg piece in in the center of my six foot long table at the back of my desk. So it stopped <laughs> sinking. And that led to a complete rearrangement of how all of my gear was laid out on my desk. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to get to everything now, but it was a total waste of time. Come on then, where are you, Gil? Come on. All right. Searching Facebook to find him. Is he on Facebook at the moment or is he? I don't think he's online. Oh. Yeah. Oh, dear. Gil, Gil, Gil. Gil. I just I just heard one of his messages on uh there, let's see. Hola. Hi. Hello there. He's on the trio podcasting, so now I've included him in little instant messages there. I don't know, maybe 10.30 came and I was late in getting this off. So now he's like, what are these guys doing? What the what? I mean, it doesn't say he was online anytime recently. Normally, they'll tell me, you know, if he'd been on. But was it the last time we were talking where we were talking with Gillum and I was saying that I still think the old jazz recordings by Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock and uh, Duke Ellington, yeah. those, I think that they sound better on vinyl because it, because it, you were saying about the, the drum on um, a kind of blue, weren't you, or something where the, the brush on the drum, yes, it, it works yeah. with that, with the sound of the vinyl. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. it. So it does. Yeah. You know, and, and there's still, you know, all the naysayers can say stuff, but there's still this depth that you just cannot reproduce in a bit rate. There's just a depth to those analog recordings because it doesn't have to deal with bit rate or, or kilohertz. That's not a, that's not a thought when it comes to how vinyl is etched or how a recording was done on analog audio. Yeah, I mean this this vinyl. Speaking of this little vinyl option, it gives you the ability to to mimic any record player type uh, noise, anything from the '30s, '50s, '60s, '70s, '80s, or modern. And then you can add dust, you can add uh, scratch gain, you can add a warble, a warp to it. You can give it a lo-fi mode. You can change the RPM so it's either sounds like it's on a you know '33 type noise or '45 or '70. Was he over in 72 or whatever that was? 78. So you've got all those options. It's just so weird. And you can add mechanical noise. You can add electrical noise. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, Gil called me on Zoom on Friday night. He said, he said have you got 10 minutes? I said, yeah, all right, I'll park up and have a break. And uh, we were saying during that 10 minutes that the funny thing is that Gil's looking at doing this Monday show because he's been influenced by your show. <laughs> All right. Right. Because we were both, we were both saying to each other how it's a really nice compact show. And it's, you've got all this that's going on in the show, 
but it's under 30 minutes and we were just like we were both saying to each other how do you do that how do you <laughs> you know and we're both <laughs> we're both dumbfounded and thinking how do you fit all that because it's there's so much in there in the half an hour and we're both so in a way he said that was one of his original inspirations for doing this monday show where it's that's going to be under half that's going to be half an hour at the most as well and that's what he's trying he's, he's been inspired by your show to do that because he's he's listened to, he's listening to it every week you know gillies well i definitely need you to uh to send me that part of the recording that you've just done because i did not hit record and waiting for gill but i'd love to have that little that little part eventually to to play around with or stuff but awesome well i'm glad that that that's you know that's exciting to me yeah more so than you know listeners i thank you everybody who listens i need listeners that's how i'm going to make it doing this but when i hear that somebody else has been spurred to an idea or to an action and now they're going to work on it so it's exciting to me to hear when people are inspired to go for it. That's what Live Life Loud is all about. Just go for it. Make it happen. Don't wait for somebody else. You know, don't wait on something to nudge you. I mean, my goodness. I had a good friend who lives in Atlanta who I was talking with. And I had, I had knocked on doors trying to figure out what I was going to do uh, professionally. And he's like, if, if money was no object and he could do anything, what would you do? And I'm like... Well, I want to do something that keeps me at home this time. So touring's kind of out, you know, although it'd be fun. But honestly, you know, now that I've actually given it thought and thrown all these ideas out there, starting a podcast. Yeah. And he's like, well, okay. And do you think you could be successful in that? And I'm like, if I do it right, yeah. So here I am. Now I'm figuring out, you know, how to how to slowly build it and do it the right way so I get what they call monetization. So I get sponsorships, but trying to do it in such a way that it's actually worth something to the sponsors. But at the same time, you know, eventually make enough so that it's, it's just enough to cover the house rent. Yep. You know, if, if that's all I do is cover what it costs or not house rent, excuse me, the house uh, mortgage. Yep. If all I make is enough to cover the mortgage while my wife uh, is working, but I'm home, I'm home for our 19 year old autistic son. I'm home to take care of everything else around the house. So when she gets home, she doesn't have to think about it. You know, I'm fine with not having to be the traditional model breadwinner of my home. Yeah. And there's a ton of other things that I can do that can spur on from podcasting, doing voiceovers, you know, voice acting, whatever that can come out from that. And it's just, you know, so this is my window of opportunity to invest in it and see if I can get something rolling before I have to make it more of a side project and less of my main focus, which really at this point, I don't want to even think about as an option. Oh, Gil. I know, I know. I was ready with a funny answer for the question out the hat as well. Oh, no. What, 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 what item could you not live without? Okay. What item could you not live without, uh, Marv? What item could you not live without, Marv? I was going to say underpants. <laughs> Tra la la! <laughs> or boxer shorts, but who needs to know all that? <laughs> sure. Yeah, you know the undergarment is is the important key there. Mm. That's that's the garment you can't live without. 
Yeah. Well, you, know, actually, you can't live without. Go on. I'm actually fully dressed right now, which is not common. Usually by now I'm back into a pair of my my pajama shorts or something, but it's a little colder day. So that happened. Yeah. That's good. So what item that you own would you would you not be able to live without? Mm. Well, you already took underwear. Sorry. So, you could take it again okay. if you like, but just don't take mine. <laughs> <laughs> what could I not live without that I own? Dang, that, you know that could be a that's a hard question actually. In all honesty, um, you know, because everything else, everything in my house, I could, you know, if money was no object, I could live without. Um, probably my glasses. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm nearsighted, but I can still see well. But I lose a lot of definition once it gets past how far my computer screen is away from my face. Yes, actually, I need my glasses as well because I can see. So I'm short. Is it short sighted? So I can't see yes. far off, far away. But also, I need reading glasses as well to be able to read books. So. I oh. use verifocals to be able to do both. So my in-between vision is good, but far vision is terrible and reading vision is not as good. But I, I can sort of read without the glasses, but it, it gets painful after a while. Yeah, my my close-up vision is is waned a little bit as well, but I refuse to go bifocal because I, I don't need to. I can sit and read and see things, at, you know, foot 18 inches away. So, and everything's still crystal clear at that point in focus, you know, my, my little, my iMac screen being an arm's length away uh, is just a little bit out of focus, but not so much that I can't see what it says. Okay. Like I can, I could probably drive if I wanted to without them, but I, I don't because I like that detail. Yep. yep. That's the main reason why I've got very focus is for driving really so that I can see the country uh, so i can see the uh, the dashboard oh okay and i can see out onto the road as well so yeah and i'm fortunate enough that the dashboard is just far enough away that in my glasses it's still it's clean so that that's me i just i don't i don't want to grow old gracefully turn the volume oh you know i can turn the volume down and then it settles and... That, that rumble reminds me of uh, do you know the musician john michel char i don't you don't is that again uh, electronic musician he does like synthesizer music he's done it since the mid 70s what's uh, his name jean michel jarre is french he's the uh, he's the son of maurice jarre the uh, film composer i will have to look him up now uh all you would love his music it's really good uh particularly his first two albums solo which would be oxygen and equinox ah uh. Very cool. They are classics in uh, synth synth music. I have to look that up. See, Ye Yellow is about as far back as I've gotten with that, to be completely open and honest. So you wouldn't know the Japanese group Yellow Magic Orchestra either, then? No, I don't. Oh, that's another one to look into. Oh, that's loud. So this is all just being triggered right from my keyboard. I have an external uh, app that just pulled up 
that's allowing me to change the sound. But yeah, that's all you need. Uh, you could probably do something like that with a with a little MIDI keyboard, like a little Akai, or or just one of those little I don't know what are they fifty dollar pads you plug it in, and you can just use an external little piece of software it comes with, and that would probably let you launch the sounds the way you want to. I don't think Gil's going to show up, and huh. I can only give us till five o'clock anyway, which was the original breakoff point anyway. Okay. So that means like 30 minutes for you. No, no. 35. Yep. 35. 35 minutes. Yep. So could reschedule for another and I'll just use bits from this to implant into that episode about Decibolic, the live live loud. There you go. Yeah. That will yeah. work. It will. What I will likely do as well. Just, cut and move them over to that one all right so well hey well i've got you here since we've got this time and and we're, we're sans gill or gill sans <laughs> that's the name of a font <laughs> oh that was bad <laughs> uh, you've you've said i got you that's another james brown reference like last week when you did the james brown impression can't help it it's just it, you yeah. know you go with what you grow Anyway, Dave, I'll let you get on. We've used all that time up now. Yeah, that's great because I just basically did the interview I wanted to with you. So right. that just totally worked out to have that extra time. Marv, thank you so much for being on. Um, at least double the length of your episode now. Marv, thanks for being on Live Life Loud. And thank you for being on Pods Like Us. Dear, we'll do this as a crossover. They call it a, a swap, don't they, awesome? Exactly. Swapcast. Okay. Take care, Dave. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Dave. I'll talk to you very soon. I look forward. Thank you. Yep. I'm still standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know what it's like. You'd be a clown by now. I'm still standing better than I ever did. Feeling like a true survivor. Feeling like a little kid. Hey, I'm singing over here just to see if I'm annoying enough for it to pop in. But that is so weird. I can hear about you. And I can record you as well. Oh, I can hear about you. Can you hear me? That's some of my mic and mechanics. So, which would be better? Would it be better if I switch back to the laptop microphone and get closer to the laptop or keep it this way? Um, that is, it's, it's six and one half dozen the other. We can just go for it the way it is if you're more comfortable and that way you don't have to worry about where you are. I totally get that. I just have to do a lot of noise reduction. Yeah, because noise reduction isn't doing anything. No, let's have a look. Uh, it says auto on the settings, suppress background noise. Uh, yeah, and that's just noise coming in from the microphone. So anything that's picking up that's not within your, it's not in close, it tries to push away. 
unfortunately it doesn't fix an internal glitch like what you what I'm getting. Oh. But it's not a big deal. Yeah. We can we can go without it. We are yeah, because I even unplugged my uh, keyboard to make sure it wasn't just something on my side. You know, yeah, plugged, unplugged uh, from the power strip and it was still there. But anyhow, we can do this. Not a big okay. deal. Right. I, I've worked with worse. <laughs> so have I. So have I. Well, I know, well normally when me and you talk, I'm on the phone. That's so true. That is so strange. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, audio audio interface or an external microphone, one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I have got I have actually got an external microphone, but I'd need to dig it out that plugs in. Mind sure. you, I don't I don't know if this laptop actually has a microphone slot. That's well like weird. is it like USB or oh well. Anyhow. Yeah, I might have I might have a USB microphone. Yeah, we'll have yeah. Yeah. that's a that's but, a rabbit trail. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like going down rabbit trails, yeah, from time to time. Right. Let's have a look. Anyway, um, yeah, you, um, yeah, um, yeah. 